when God freezes water, he makes a snowstorm. Do you know what those are here in Pasadena? You can, you can tell it's just my second week. I don't know, you know, culturally relevant illustrations. Uh, I, I've been told that every snowflake is unique. No two alike. I'll have to check that out with Caltech engineers. When you and I freeze water, we make ice cubes. Take out an ice tray, put it in there, and we try to mold each one of those so that they will be so much alike. That just shows you just one of those fundamental differences between God and us. When God brings about unity, he, he does it in a way very different from us. Last week, those of you who are not here, I talked about this remarkable prayer of Jesus. Just before he gave his life so that we could come into the family of God, he wanted us to know you and I are going to be brought into this family with one another. And he prayed, he prayed before going to the cross that we would be one so that seeing us as one, the world might see it and believe that the father had sent him. Now, I'll tell you, the tendency that you and I might have is that in living out this oneness, we might try to think that each one of us has to become more and more just alike because that is our human tendency. Do you remember this past century when uh, the old time communists were trying to create a class less society uh, through totalitarian power, tried to force everybody to become alike and, and therefore have this this society that where everyone was absolutely equal with no distinctives? It, it didn't work, you know didn't work. Uh, George Orwell had seen that early on. I don't know if you've read Animal Farm. It's just so much fun to read that where this barnyard, they tried to form a barnyard where there was no distinctives among all these different uh, animals. Everyone was equal, except, of course, there were some pigs more equal than others. It's always one of my favorite uh, books. But it just makes me see that when I do a message like last week, where we find Jesus praying that we would be one, we might think that in the living out of that oneness, that each one of us would have to become more and more alike. I want you to know today that God does it in a different way. In this global, eternal family of God that he's creating, and we are a manifestation of it right here on Lake Avenue, he creates unity. It's, it's amazing when you think about it. He creates unity by making each one different. Now, there are certain essential things that hold us together, that we hold as one. Uh, faith in Jesus. Uh, a commitment to showing to one another the compassionate love of Jesus. Uh, this mission of Jesus to bring good news to this community and to this world. Uh, certain things that we hold, that we believe in common, wrapped up in the biblical message of the gospel. Those things unite us. But I'll tell you, in living out, in living out this oneness, we're going to find out that God has made us to be so different. He is so creative. Uh, he gives to us different gifts and experiences that we're now in this process of growing to become what God would have us to be both individually and as a church body. But none of us are there fully, right? And it's as if we all need one another. You need the gifts I have and I need the gifts you have. We need to be serving alongside of one another. And as we do... The church becomes what God would have it to be, and we individually grow. I've thought about it this way. It's almost as if God, 
saw us while we were yet sinners. Loved us as we as not as we were, but loved us for what we could become. Uh, Rescued us uh, through faith in Jesus. Brought us into a church family like this one. Gave to us his Holy Spirit that knits us together. Gave us these differing gifts, but no one has them all. And it's almost as if God said, there. They're going to have to get along and find some way of serving one another. Or they will never become what I made them to be. They aren't even going to live all that well. Now, I know we haven't always thought about the church that way. In fact, the last century, so many of the uh, gospel songs and hymns that were written used the um, metaphor of, of an army uh, for the church. And, and in many ways, that's a good metaphor because we do have to go out and there are battles we have to face, right? But it's not a complete metaphor. Uh, I, I think of the well-known one, uh, Onward Christian Soldiers. You know that song, don't you? And, and it's a good one because it helps us to know we have a, a battle to face out in the world to bring this good news of Jesus. But it's an inadequate metaphor. Because the picture that sort of conjures up in our mind is of, of Jesus being sort of a commander in chief uh, of, of all the churches. And, and what a senior pastor would be, what, a, a sort of a general, and maybe associate pastors, what would, would lieutenants and sergeants, and that's, and what would you be? Just people obeying commands, I suppose. We're more and more like in an army. We just sort of wear the same sort of, of, of clothes and, and march together to the same cadence and all of that. I think it's an inadequate metaphor. I've been trying to think of a better one. I can't come up with a perfect one. But maybe it's because I've been way too influenced by John Sutton and Dwayne Thunderberg. I don't know. The one that came to my mind is, is of the church being more like an orchestra. I, I thought I'd... Last night, I should have said a jazz group, but t- t- today, more, more like an, an orchestra where you have hundreds, in fact, thousands and millions of players, each one having a critical part to play in the piece of music. Just think about different instruments, uh, different melodic lines, different points of entry, different points of exit, but all of it held together under the direction of the conductor. And together, these varying and complex parts come together to form these beautiful, multi-tonal harmonies and lines of a symphony. It seems to me that the church is a little bit more like that. And that's what I see the Bible talking about in this marvelous text we're looking at today. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. I want you to know that this morning, this text has been one that has been of central importance to me as I have thought about what a church should be. So if you want to know something about your pastor and how he thinks about the church and thinks about your role in the church, this text is one you can come back to again and again and again. Out of it, there is a principle that I think holds it all together. We've put it here. Let me, let me tell you what it is. I wrote it out Tuesday and I've made it more simple since then, but I'll show you what I wrote. That God has created each family member. And here I'm thinking of us as family. Though in Romans 12, 3, he uses the image of a body. But God has made each family member to be distinctive, unique, so that we will find completion through service to and with one another. He has made each one of us to be different, incomplete in and of ourselves, but together not incomplete, 
this being his church, everything that is needed for us to become what God would have us to become is here within this body. But he's made it so that we can find that completion as we engage in service to and with one another. Or yesterday I wrote out a more simple version of this. God has made us different so that we might be one. God has made us different so that we might be one. And out of that very simple principle, there are four lessons. They are so obvious, so obvious, and yet it seems to me that we rarely practice them. But four lessons I want to give to you today. Lesson number one. Following Jesus is a family matter. It's not some sort of individualistic enterprise. Following Jesus is a family matter. Romans 12:5. When we come into Christ, in Christ, we who are many, we form one body. But look at this. Each member belongs to. That's really strong language. Each member belongs to one another. Uh, the image Paul uses is of a, uh, of, of a human body. And I guess it's not so um, uh, ego inflating to just think of myself as a body part. But, but that's essentially what he says here. Now, the thing I want you to look at is that Romans 12, 3 through 8 flow directly out of Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, therefore, pointing back to the earlier part of Romans, which is all about what God has done for us. Romans 12, 1 through 3 tells us that we were in big time trouble. Every one of us had fallen short of what God had created us to be. There is not one person who is righteous. No, not one. With uh, Romans uh, 3, 9 through 20 being the most depressing text in all the Bible. Telling us that from head to toe, from head to toe, we are not what we should be. But then verse 21, but now a way to be made right has been made known and it comes from God. And we simply receive what he has done through the gift of his son, through salvation, through faith in Jesus. And when we receive him, he brings us into his family and begins this remarkable work in us. He begins remaking us, refashioning us. And he's not going to be done with us. He gives us his spirit. He begins remaking you and me until we are someday going to become conformed to the image of Jesus. It's amazing. Look in the mirror. That's what he's going to do to you and to me. And it's an ant until he's done. Nothing is going to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Therefore, in view of the mercy of God, how do you respond to such a thing? What, what do we have to give back to God? Offer yourself, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That, that's what real worship is about. That's what real service is about. Just responding to what he has done for you out of, out, out of gratitude. Now, when you read those first two verses, you may be inclined to think that then this following Jesus is just a matter of me walking alone with him. Like that old gospel song. Now it's just Jesus and me along life's pathway. Any, any of you remember that? That was not a good gospel song. Don't sing that anymore. It's not true. It's Jesus and us. Because when he brings you into his family, he brings you into a relationship with us. Gives to us his spirit, brings us into a family like this one, and calls upon us to walk together. You see, followers of Jesus, different from some other religions, we are not private religious hermits. 
who sort of just sit at home and watch Christian television. We may do that, but we become a part of his larger body represented in a church like this where we are called upon to walk together with others. He he has built this into his design for your own life of growth and for this church. That we all become what God created us to be as we learn to live lives of service to one another to the glory of God. Now make note of this. Part of your walking with Christ is necessarily a commitment to his family. Just, just a part of being a follower of Jesus is that you want to serve other members of the family so that together we can demonstrate the unity of God. So that, that's just a part of it. So make note of that and begin looking for that place where God might have you to serve. Also a reality check. Uh, I, I'm new. So I just want you to know that I know that <clears throat> local churches like Lake Avenue are not fully perfect. I, I do know that. Uh, and if you're looking for a perfect one, don't go. Because you being there would make it less perfect, right? <laughs> and, and so many of you, when you told us, uh, you know we're not perfect, uh, do you know what you're getting into? I said, well, then, then I can become a part of this. Uh, I know that churches aren't perfect, and I know that people go home and complain about what happened and all of that, but you need to know that the pastor has complaints too. So if you're complaining, I'm probably complaining about you. Uh, so I just want you to know. <laughs> I just want you to know that I know that churches aren't perfect. But I also know this, that the Bible just drives home this point, that you and I cannot grow unless we get into a community like this one and start growing together. Just a part of your growing stronger in your walk with the Lord. So if you continue to face that same old temptation and you haven't even taken this first step toward victory, if, if you're finding that there's just ongoing discouragement and you wonder if, if God is even there and, and you just feel like he's far away, maybe one of the things you need to do is to find a place of service. And as you give of yourself to the children or to the young people or to one another as God has gifted you, come alongside of others. I think you will find the reality of God in new ways. Because I need you and you need me. Our children need you and you need them. Our young people do. Because he has made this walking with him not to be an individualistic enterprise. It is a family matter. You see that? We belong to one another. Lesson two. Therefore, followers of Jesus, we have to take times like this Sunday morning to evaluate humbly, honestly, the role that God would have you to play in this family. If there is a role we'd have you play, we need to have these times where we start. And I like the way he begins in verse three. By the grace given to me, I tell every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Now, that's why I use family language. Do any of you have brothers and sisters? Um, I come from this little town in West Virginia. And uh, then I got to have these good job titles like president of a university and now senior pastor of such a wonderful church. But if you have a brother and a sister, if you try to act like you're more than you are, they call your bluff, don't they? We know you, Greg. Don't try to pre- pretend to be something you aren't. We'll show up and tell those people who you are. <laughs> It's the way it is in a, in a family. It's the way it is in a family. We, 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 we hold one another accountable because we know and love one another. All right, so in this family, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Don't think that you have every possible gift. But 
soberly, honestly, humbly. Take time to be thankful for what God has done. He's given himself to you. And he's brought you into this family to serve. Now, I've been in the church a long time. And in this whole matter, I've seen two kinds of opposite sicknesses related to this evaluation. One is what I call the I think I can do everything syndrome. I think I have all the gifts syndrome. Who do you think is the most prone to this sickness? Well, look down to Pastor Chuck Olson. (laughs) You and I have to look in the mirror together. It's usually the pastor who tries to pretend that that all the gifts reside in the the one pastor. Uh, Sometimes it happens, though, in, in a Sunday school class or in other places. This person tries to pretend that they have no flaws. They, they, they can do anything better than anywhere else. This whole church is really my, my ministry. They begin to try to pretend to people that they can preach, teach, administrate, counsel, visit, sing, organize, solve crises, and prepare the church banquet. I mean, could anything be more silly? It's not the way God's made us. The second problem is on the other side. I call it the spiritual inferiority syndrome. Those who have that really feel like they can do nothing. Or maybe it's a cop-out, isn't it? They try to get out of serving. They act like they can do nothing. I don't have the gift for this. It might simply be that they don't want to do it. But either one of these syndromes do not fit with what the Scriptures say. In the light of the fact that we belong to one another, we need to take time to come prayerfully before the Lord. And evaluate, Father, what role would you have me to play? Listen to those around you and help them, have them help you uh, indicate where you might be able to serve. Because all the gifts we need are here. I know that that is true. But sometimes we, there is a lack, not because God didn't give us the gifts we need, but because out of fear or, or pride or laziness, we have not done what Scripture tells us to do. By the grace given me, Paul says, Take time to evaluate soberly and honestly what role God would have you to play. Because, again, we need you and you need us. That's the church. You need to serve. You need to be served. That's how he's created us to function. Uh, Don't envy others' gifts. Don't downplay their gifts either. Let us find ways to serve one another, and we will grow to become a place where God works through us into this community and in this world. That brings me to lesson three. That in this evaluation, eventually you'll find that all members are essential to this family. All members are essential to this family. Look at verse 4. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members don't have all the same function, so in Christ, and then he goes on to say, the many members have many different parts, but they all play these very important roles with, with the metabolism and the functioning of the whole body. Uh, You know what what the problem here is? That we human beings begin to think that certain gifts are more important than other gifts. And so I'm going to ask you, if there are gifts given, who gives them? This is not a hard question. (laughs) Who gives the gifts to serve this body? God gives the gifts. God gives the gifts. And does God give bad gifts? That is to give unimportant gifts. The gifts that he gives to us are each one of them is important to the functioning of the body. 
Unfortunately, different stages in the life of the church, we often think one gift is more important than another. There was a time back in the 70s when some were saying that certain supernatural gifts were far more important that everybody had to have the same gift. Like the gift of speaking in other languages, as if the whole body would be one tongue. It's just absurd. Uh, also not all that attractive when I think about it. That, that probably wasn't the problem here at Lake Avenue. I think often we have valued, we have valued gifts like teaching and preaching. And that is an important gift. These gifts are all important because God gives them. But it's not the most important thing that the one who has that is necessarily more spiritual. It's just a gift that, that you exercise and pray that God would use. If everybody were to do it, it would just be the whole church one big set of lips or, or a big lung. And that's not the church either. And nowadays, I'm beginning to see that people are valuing the gift of leadership more than anything else. And which tends toward pride. The whole point is that God knows what the church needs at the time. And he gives a spirit to the people in the church and tells us to get into one another's lives. And we will find out that all that we need is here by the grace of God. Let me just show you one passage. I, I love this section. It's, it was so striking for me when I saw it. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. It's in Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31, verse 1. I think it's the first time that we read about God giving his spirit to someone. This is what we read. The Lord, Jehovah, said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, the son of Uri, and I have filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God. I have given him skill and ability and knowledge to... To what? That we would think to be a priest or a prophet or maybe a king. But no, he was to be a craftsman. He was to build things. See, the people of God at that time needed a place to worship God, to put God at the center of their life. And so the people of God needed someone endowed by the Spirit of God to do that work, and God raised up a person. See, now, this makes sense to me then, that in the life of the church, you know, different times there are different things that are needed. And sometimes we need people who can build and maintain. And as we give those things to the Lord, it becomes a spiritual exercise. Remember Romans chapter 12, 1, in view of the mercy of God, offer your bodies to God. And when we offer our bodies to God, and he says, I've given you this ability, serve the church. Sometimes the maintenance needs of the church, the building needs are met. I've thought about the uh, 21st century church. You know what we also need in the church now are, are people who have financial acumen. Because the world looks at the church and wonders if it's using its funds appropriately. We need people who know how to do that right and do it well. We also here in California live in a litigious society. You know that, don't you? Uh, the school I used to serve had a law school down to the south. And I found out that a huge percentage of the attorneys in the world live in California. We need lawsuits to keep it going here and the thing going. So in a church, we need people who, who have the ability and knowledge and skill to give good, sound, wise legal advice. And of course, around this community, there are so many children and young people and others who simply have needs. And God will raise up people to serve those needs. And so I just want to say to you, 
Even though the gift God may have you to, to, to exercise, even though the role he may have you to play in the eyes of the world may not seem to be significant. Every one of us as a member is important to the functioning of this body. Now, we fall into traps. One of the traps I see is the we're used to the ones being served trap. I used to work in the North Shore of Chicago. It's the most, most affluent area of Chicago. I'll tell you, when work was over, we went out and we made sure we were the ones being served because we were tired. So we'd go to the restaurant and, and we would, somebody else would park our cars. And then we'd order and people would wait on us and bring us the food and clean up after us. And we'd go home and our houses had been cared for by others. And I, I don't know if that's the same in, in much of Pasadena. I'm guessing it surely is. And that's not bad. I'm just saying it's a pattern of life of being used to being served that is not translatable to the church. The church is a place where we come in looking for an opportunity to serve other people. We need to do it for our own growth. One of the churches I so often preached at was on the south side of Chicago. It was an African-American church. So I was the pale member, the one of the lighter hue coming in. But when I would go and preach, it was an amazing thing. So they, I would come in and I was going to serve them the word so they would serve me back. They would take my Bible. I wore a robe when I preached there, carry my robe. They thought maybe I would preach well enough that I would sweat some. So they, they brought me a handkerchief. They made sure that if they saw that I needed some water, they, they had that there. And then I found out that the ones serving me were significant leaders in the community. Uh, attorneys, leading business people. But when I talked to them, they said, we need a culture of service. The church is a place where we come to serve, not to be served. Because that's what Jesus did for us. And I pray that that culture of service might grow to permeate Lake Avenue Church. That whatever else we do in the rest of the week, when we come into this place, just as Jesus served us by giving his life, we are going to find that place to serve the people God has put in this family. Bring me to the final lesson. Seems to me family members must learn to direct and encourage the service of others. Do you notice the way it's put all the way from verse 4 through verse 8? If a person's gift is this, let him. If a person's gift is that, let him. On one side, that means go out and use the gifts that God has given you freely. Just see what God will do through you, even if you feel like, well, I'm not sure I can, but if God's called me to, I'll, I'll see what happens. But on the other side, I think it's a call to you and me to get to know one another well enough that we can encourage people. Let him do it. Uh, don't say no if God has given that gift. Um, I told this story the week that I was candidating. In my little church in West Virginia, I was in, as a high school student, I began telling everyone that I wanted to study law. I was applying to, law, to, to programs where they had pre-law uh, majors. And at that time, some of the people in the church came up to me and said, Greg, we think that God's hand is on you for pastoral ministry. I'll tell you, I heard that as being the Lord through his people directing me. In fact, when I left university administration to come here, those words from so many years ago still were ringing in my ears. Now, I know this is hard in a big church, isn't it? I think the best advice I could give is find a place somewhere soon today where you might begin serving and when you come alongside of people you're going to love this church more because when you come you're going to know them better and then listen and if you see somebody that you're serving with that it seems like they have a particular gift encourage them let's learn to get into one another's lives and have the courage to do so now there is a tough part of this 
If on one side, if we see a person having this kind of giftedness, we need to let them and, and encourage them in that way. Do you think the opposite is true? If a person has a, doesn't have a gift, don't let them. That's the hard part in the church. Uh, it has been applied to me. So the, I'll, I'll just tell you the story. I, the first church that I was pastoring was in Racine, Wisconsin. I would preach the Sunday evening services, teaching through the word. I was teaching through First Corinthians, I think. And uh, that evening we were living in this little, Chris and I were living in this little bitty um, uh, church home. So I, I went home that, that night after a Sunday night. And uh, the, uh, the faucet wasn't working. So like the old Bill Cosby show, I put on my tools, went, out and went in there and tried to fix the plumbing. Within about 15 minutes, the water was just spouting up the top of that faucet, scalding hot water. Immediately, I called uh, the chairman of the trustees. He's a good friend, Carlton Rood. And he came over. It took him, I don't know how long, to undo what I had done. It took Chris, I don't know how long, to clean up what I had done. And after he'd done it, it took him about three minutes to fix it. And then afterwards, he says, uh, Pastor Greg, I'm going to apply your sermons to you. You preach the sermons. I'll do the plumbing. And out the door he went. <laughs> There's much more I could tell. I won't. I'm so tempted. But in the life of the church, we, we have to have this courage and love for one another and humility to get into one another's lives, to begin serving, and as we serve, we will see how God directs us. And as we develop this life and culture of service to one another, I think this church will become more and more and more of what God would have us to be. I I will tell you, I have never wanted to be in a church in which the whole life of the church just revolved around four or five people. I don't want to be a pastor where this whole church revolves around your senior, senior pastor. That's, that's not the church. That's a one-man show. And I'll tell you, in a one-man show where one person has all the ministries revolving around him or her, though he or she does, do not have all of the gifts, I'll tell you what happens on a Sunday morning. We have to try to entertain you more and more and just get worn out. Every week we have to get together and figure out something that's more exciting and entertaining so they'll come back the following week. Uh, I I read about one pastor who was playing two trumpets at once. (laughs) There was one down south, John and I keep looking at John, who come from the south. There was one church in the south where a man dressed up, a pastor in an asbestos suit, set himself on fire and preached about hell and tried to get people to come in. You know, you have to keep coming up with more ideas and a new order of service, uh, something more exciting than last week. And it just wears us all out. It's not what the church is. If we come with a heart to serve, we'll come here with this energy looking for how God might use us today. This other idea, I put a little illustration. It's like going to a football game. You go to the football game and the one selling you the tickets, that looks like the head coach. That's amazing. Then you go out and somehow he's gotten out the back door and he collects the tickets. Then you go up to the stands. Somehow it's the same man up there who's selling the popcorn and and the programs. Then you look down and as the team runs onto the field, there he is motivating them, urging them on. But they don't go out and play. He goes out and plays. 
every position on the team. And in between the plays, he's back up into the stands leading the cheers. It's a ridiculous thought, isn't it? It's just as ridiculous to think of the church as being a place where any one of us can fail to be the people God would have us to be and to serve as he has gifted us to serve. Well, this week we're going to show you some opportunities where you might step in. It's a spiritual exercise. I know your life can make a difference in this family. And I just want you to know, as you serve, you'll grow. That's just the way God has made us. God creates unity by making us different. What a brilliant idea. He's made us so that we still need one another. And then knits us together as we needy people. Serve God together simply because we're grateful for what he has done. I'll leave you with this verse out of Romans 12. In Christ... We, who are many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. But we have different gifts. Let us learn to use them to His glory. Amen. I'd like to have Pastor Jeff Manisich come back up and, and lead us in the rest of the service, Jeff.